One little act of kindness can go a long, long way. Two little acts of kindness can brighten anyone's day. Three little acts of kindness can make a beautiful sound. Many acts of kindness help the world go round. Hi, and welcome back to season two of Tell Me What Happened the podcast that features people from all walks of life talking about childhood experiences that have impacted them as an adult. I'm your host, Jay Rehack, and like you, I've had my share of childhood experiences that have impacted who I am today. Some of them great, some of them not so great. Tell Me What Happened is sponsored by Sidelining Publishing, publishers of quality books, including Susan Salador's classic children's book, One Little Act of Kindness, which is also a song which is available on Spotify. Today, I have as my guest, Dr. Efrain Martinez. He's the principal at Northwood Middle School in Highland Park. Dr. Martinez is also the host of the podcast, Wisdom and Productivity. He's a friend of mine, and the story he has to tell me today from his childhood is extremely painful, but it's one in which he's sort of come out of very impressively. So, Doctor, are you ready to tell your story? I am so ready to tell my story. All right. Well, listen, Doctor, I'm going to get out of the way. I'm going to listen to the story. And then at the end, Doctor, I'm going to ask you one question. And that question is, how has the story that you told us impacted your life as an adult today? But let me get out of the way and hear your story. Thank you, Jay, for having me here. Such a great honor to be in your presence. I have learned from you. I admire you for a long time. I'm so honored that you were in my podcast uh, to tell your story. So let me tell you something about my story, right? I love the title. Tell me what happened. So uh, put your seatbelt because this is going to be a long journey. So my father was born in 1927. He was a Second World War veteran. And uh, he married quite young, had two children, they were adults. And when he got in a better financial situation, he started exploring with a woman outside of his marriage. And one day he met one uh, who had, uh, he always said, a, a yellow dress. And he fell in love immediately. He had a, a, a special uh, relationship with this person who happened to be a prostitute. And this specific person had other motives in terms of like, if, if, I, if, if she had children with another person, there will be a continuous flow of financial stability. So she had children with multiple uh, people. And, I, and by the time my sister and I were born, she already had four other children with four different individuals. My father, when I was born, um, had, I guess, a, a some sort of um, calling, and he decided to, uh, to say, I'm going to take this child with me. So uh, he put, I was two weeks old. I was exchanged for an old car on $2,000 uh, with the agreement that she will relinquish any and all rights to this baby. 
So he put me in a basket and he went to his wife, naive at that time, and said, hey, he will travel for businesses and said, they gave me this baby in the Dominican Republic. They put it by my door. And um, his wife, who was a very religious person, I'm, I'm assuming, believed the story and everything was going fine with the child. It was, it was uh, a story where uh, in my birth certificates, you know, they have switched some of the names uh, with liquid paper and made copies. So I was at least 12 years of my life living with <laughs> false documentation. Wow. But when my father was working one day and his wife, who at this point, I'm a baby, right? So that's all I can see as my mother. Someone calls her and says, hey, your husband has a woman with other children living in this address. So his wife went there and, and she put a clipboard in her hand. She put a white shirt and she knocked on the door and said, I'm here from the electric company. I'm here to check. And you know, it's funny because you start you know, learning that it's a lie after a lie after a lie. So my father's lover, who was living in this apartment that he was paying with the children of other, of other individuals, uh, knew who she was because, um, you know, she had seen pictures. She had seen them abroad. And uh, she allowed her to come in. And they were having a conversation and about the electricity who ended up being, hey, I know who you are. And um, they both waited patiently until... My father, who will go every every now and then to have his relationship with his uh, with his lover, found them the, them too, like sitting on the same couch in the apartment that he was paying. So his 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 story was uncovered, and the myth is uh, that in that in that meeting, my father uh, basically said, "Well, now you know the truth. This is the way it's going to be," and somehow. Oh. That continues through life, and um, it, it deeply impacted me. And I will tell you how. So, I truly believe that my father's wife, who I will call mother all my life, you know, was deeply hurt for, I guess, this loss of innocence of what marriage is supposed to be. They already had children in their early thirties, so. Um, I believe I became that midpoint of contention between them. My parents were both born where there was extreme poverty in Puerto Rico. So I cannot judge them by the way they were raised. And uh, that included physical abuse and beatings. Mm. So uh, my mother will, for example, I was a very rambunctious kid unlike the children that she had. And remember, they were already on their 30s. So I would get beatings. And when my father will come, my mother will tell my father what I would have done. And my father would beat me again. Mm -hmm. And then she will say, she will come behind my ear and say, write that in the book of your life. Mm -hmm. See what your father did. And that will continue throughout my childhood. And what I didn't realize is that you know, not because perhaps she was just an evil person who wanted to hurt me, but maybe in her psyche, 
she was trying to do this to see if somehow her relationship with her spouse will improve. And then I was in that middle between them. I'm talking about beatings like my father would put me on my knees with books. And if my one of the hands will, he will slap, he will hit me with a stick on the back or with the belt or with whatever he will find. And she will do it too. I think the most significant beating that I had, and I'm I'm not talking about this to for people to feel, oh, poor Afraim. It's just that all of this go accumulating and they build the adult I, I am today. Yes. The most significant beating where I, I, it was the first time that I suspected there was something more than parenthood trying to raise a child. Mm. It was, I was maybe at an age where the Nintendo came out the first time. And for my birthday, I was supposed to, to get this, the Nintendo, the Super Mario. Oh, I was so excited. So I was trying to behave well in school so bad. And then my mother, who will usually go to school in a, with a little bag, and every kid know that inside that bag there was a belt. You know, it was like constant terror in my life. Oh, One day my. I'm not going to get beat. My mother went and talked to the teacher on that day of my birthday, who I was supposed to receive. And I guess the teacher, you know, said the truth, right? That they uh, did something terrible, right? Because when you have a child who is being afraid at home and you leave them in school, school is like opening that cage, you know? So I will bother other people, want attention, or it was all things. But, you know, my parents were not educational psychologists. So my mother one came to pick me up and she said, get in the car. I have a surprise for you. And I was convinced it was the Nintendo, right? I was talking about it in my, my car. My mother was talking to me about uh, entertaining me with the ideas. And when I came home, she said, go upstairs. I have the surprise for you. And when she started coming up the stairs, I will hear and boom, boom, boom. And it was her with the stick that she had, like hitting the, the stairs that she was coming up, like announcing, here it comes. And I couldn't understand. Like I was thinking I was going to get. So that was the second time my birthday was not celebrated due to, to these things. And that really impacted me because that's when I first started to unravel the book and say, oh, you know, I might be a, uh, in the middle of something because my parents will usually tell me, you know, they were like, in comparison to the parents of my friends, they were great grandparents. So I will always wonder why we were different. Why, how come my parents was much older? And every time we would go to an event, I was told a story. They will say, don't say this, or don't mention that. These family thinks we are this, or they think your father is that. And there was always a performance everywhere we will go because everywhere has someone different. When I was 12 years old, no, when I was seven years old, my, uh, all of a sudden, out of the blue, from one day to another, my father says, look, this is your sister. Uh, she's like uh, two, three years older. And, and I will see her face and she looked just like me. 
Like it's like seeing a, a twin for the first time, and I had no clue that my father had another child with with this same individual I was talking about. And that's when I started suspecting, whoa, there has to be something way beyond. How come I all of a sudden have a sister who is two or three years older than me? And when I was closer to 12, all of a sudden a psychologist arrives to the home and sits down and say, hey, that person that has been raising you, that's not your real mother. Your real mother is so and so and so and so. So for me, that was like, that's where I think my biggest depression started because I had been trying for 12 years to try to, to be a better son, to try to please my parents, to try to, to understand how come her other, like my brother and sister who were now like almost 40 years old, who we couldn't really have a, a relationship because I was always like the, the black sheep, right? So I was always trying to get their attention or their acceptance. And it was because I was the product of the unhappiness of their mother. So slowly I'm understanding this and I couldn't take it. It was, it was, it was hard. I remember uh, standing in front of the mirror and yelling like, why do I exist? Like, why do I have to go through this? And um, when I was uh, 17 and I had my first chance to go to college, I registered to summer school remediation, even though I graduated with honors, because I just wanted to get as far away as possible from this mess and this, this argument of love, of trust, of truth. And um, that's when I got into the books and into the philosophical thinking, like really trying to understand uh, the psyche of these people. So of course, when I'm 18, the first thing I want to know is I want to know my real mother, at least have an awareness of where I come from. And that's when I learned when I was 18 that uh, she was not Puerto Rican like I thought in my life. She was Venezuelan. So I'm also Venezuelan, even though I don't know nothing about Venezuela. So she was living in the Bronx uh, by that time. And when I met this person, all dressing white, uh, tarot card reader, Things like completely opposite. My mother was super religious, Catholic. Uh, we would pray rosa. Like I was praying like half of my childhood all the time. I remember one of the prayers that will say something in este valle de lágrimas. Uh, basically, in in, a, in in this world where we are always suffering, and somehow I was saying, well, if Jesus. Uh, suffer for us then it is my duty also to suffer it's part of the world and that that perspective that i had that suffering was okay uh landed me in the in in one of my worst depressions because i couldn't understand why i couldn't be a happy fulfilling person like anybody else because i was carrying all, all these crosses so um this came with me to adulthood like like i will for example sometimes like break down crying thinking about all my 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 childhood misery i couldn't let it go even though i was an educator 
I was married. I was trying to raise children the best I could. And then uh, in this ginormous depression in my life, uh, one day I'm driving to work, not really wanting to work. I was a principal already. And all of a sudden I see a car on fire. When I see the car on fire, the first thing that comes to mind is like, how can I move to the side? So I, the, if it explodes, right? I, but then I see a man coming out of the back of the car, like full of fire. Mm. And the first thing I think is like, I am not going to see my children anymore. I, and like, I rewind my whole life and I saw my parents, I saw the the good times, I saw the bad times, like I saw the whole movie, but somehow in that microsecond, I also thought, well, if I go and do this and go there, I might be able to save this person, but I might not see my, like I, I had a whole conversation and when they say flow, absolutely. Like in that second, I thought about calculating how much, and that's where I came with the my my mindset of anticipatory mindset, trying to anticipate what's going to happen. So I literally tried it and it worked. The guy was safe. Uh, he went the, with the ambulance to the hospital and I took my car and went back to school, like went straight to school and, and everybody was looking at me like I was a monster, like was because I was all covered in dust and I was so out of place that I couldn't even realize uh, how dirty I was. So I um, went into a, a work lift for the first time in my life, for the first time. And because I was, I was broken, I was absolutely broken. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't function. So I researched what the most affluent people in society do when they go in a retreat to cure themselves, and I couldn't afford this. So I designed a, a amateur home-based retreat of a whole month in my house. And the first day my, my wife and the children went to work, my wife is a teacher, when they went to school and she locked the door, I heard the silence in the house. For the first time I had witnessed that because I have worked all my adult life. and. The first thing that I did was I took a plastic plate and I wrote, the first name I wrote was the name of my mother. And it's because I knew I was carrying a ginormous cross, thinking about the pain I had gone through, yes. that I was not able to heal and it was killing me. Yes. And after her name, I wrote my father's name. And I wrote the name of everyone in my life that I remembered that have hurt me. And then on the other side of the plate, I wrote the names of everyone I have hurt mm -hmm. by any of my actions. So during that month, I will have imaginary conversations with those people. I imagine myself like truly immerse myself in visiting that place and observing myself as the child who could not do much. And I didn't only forgive them, but I forgive myself 
for everything because I was carrying all these crosses. So what I learned is that in life, we tend to suffer for things that are in our imagination, in memory lane, in life. And I was not giving my spouse, my children, my school community, or myself the best because I was still that child suffering, trying to find love. And I couldn't see the love I had in front of me and the love I could give to others. So it was after that fire that I was able to address the issues of my childhood and finally write the end in that book and put it in the bookshelf. And from that moment, Jay, my life has been absolutely different. I have been able to, like Epictetus say, to concentrate in the areas that I have full control and accept the areas that I don't. And uh, that's the story, Jay. Oh my God, that is so beautiful and yet so painful, doctor. So painful, that little boy. <laughs> I feel so bad. And, um, little guys, especially, little people have to go through things that have nothing to do with them or whatever. And, you know, that experience, those experiences that you had, I'm really, really impressed that you were able to um, survive, I guess. I don't know what the right word is. Emotionally survive. Maybe that's the right word. You know, your, your experiences and to come out on the other side and to be a great educator, to be a father and a husband, et cetera. That's really amazing. And uh, that transformative time, that ability to forgive is, is really, I think, the most important part of everything you've told me today is that if, if everybody could do that, how much better we'd all be living our lives. But thank you for that story. I'm just moved and sort of stunned right now. So <laughs> forgive me for my uh, mumblings here. No, no, no problem. It was great to hear your story. Again, very painful. Sometimes my wife asks me, goes, why are you asking people to tell painful stories? I say, I'm not asking them to tell painful stories. I'm saying, tell me a story. It can be painful. It can be. A... But this is cathartic, doctor. What you've done by telling your story is there's catharsis because there are elements of your story that I can feel on a personal level for different reasons that I won't go into. As we listen to each other's stories, I think we do find that there are connections you know, experiences that are shared in some way. Not, not. I don't believe in exact ever, but I do believe in similarities. And uh, so thank you for that story, doctor. And thank um, you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me here. It has been such an honor. And I'm looking forward to listening to the rest of your shows. Thank you. Well, that's our show. First and foremost, I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in. Second of all, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Sidelining Publishing, Publishers of Quality Books. And finally, and most importantly, I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Efrain Martinez. Northwood Middle School is the principal there in Highland Park. Thank you for that profoundly impactful story, doctor. So I'm going to end this show as we often do with some music. We're going to end with Susan Salador's classic One Little Act of Kindness.
And so until next time, this is Jay Rehack asking you all to stay safe out there and try not to hurt anybody. One little act of kindness can go a long, long way. Two little acts of kindness can brighten anyone's day. Three little acts of kindness can make a beautiful sound. Many acts of kindness help the world go round. One little loving word can go a long, long way. can brighten anyone's day. Three little loving words can make a beautiful sound. Many loving words help the world go round. One little seed sown can go a long, long way. Can go.